Welcome to New Hope Community Church. I'm glad you're here. Today we're going to talk about a subject that uh, some of your friends are talking about. We're going to talk about obstacles that get in the way of people, get in the way of your friends at work, Michelle, who are open to God, but they've got these objections. That's what salesmen call them. Problems, issues, they just don't seem to be able to get over. Or even actually sometimes Christians who want to more fully experience God. So today I'm going to talk about a topic that's for everybody, whether you're a Christian today or you're not a Christian. This topic will apply to you. you. It's a subject about doubt. Because we all wrestle with it to some degree or another. Let me read you a little snippet of a letter. Dear Pastor, I need your help. I know many people in the church who have such strong faith that sometimes I don't even feel like I fit in. I would like to feel more confident. I wish I didn't have doubts. But I've got more questions than I've got answers. (laughs) And now I'm beginning to wonder whether I'm a Christian at all. What should I do? I have felt that way. Maybe you have too from time to time. Maybe you've been praying for God and his help and at the moment he hasn't answered and it seems like nobody's listening. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you question sometimes and you just can't seem to shake it whether God has really forgiven you even though that you know what the Bible says. You know that he says that he's taken all your sins and he's forgiven them. Your past, your present and even your future ones he's taken care of. You know the Bible says that. But you somehow have this residue of guilt sitting there and shame and you can't seem to shake it. Or maybe you have encountered the thought, well, can the Bible be trusted? Maybe some of your friends are saying that. Can thinking, intelligent people believe the Bible today in the 21st century? Or the other sort of angle that can often rear its head in is, well, I think I'm a Christian, but maybe when I prayed that prayer, I wasn't sincere enough. And now I'm not so sure. Now the truth is today, folks, There is a virus going around and not the one that many of you just caught and got rid of. (laughs) It's the virus of doubt that tries to infect Christians and we're going to look at that today. See, you could actually divide the world into three kinds of people. Actually, there's an old joke that says there are three kinds of people, those who can count and those who can't. (laughs) Some of you got that. (laughs) But you really can divide the world into three kinds of people. Those who have doubted, those who haven't doubted yet but will, and the third group are those who are brain dead. (laughs) Because if you seriously contemplate your faith in Jesus Christ, then it is almost inevitable that you'll sooner or later have some issues or some unresolved questions, 
let me put it another way, some uncertainties about one thing or another. Now there's a skill that we're gonna talk about today to help deal with that. And that's, by the way, not just a Christian experience. I know atheists who doubt their position from time to time, quite strongly. So the issue isn't whether you are not gonna catch the virus of doubt. You probably will if you haven't already had it. So it could be a mild case or it could be a strong case. The issue is, how do you prevent this virus from assailing your faith and wreaking havoc and knocking you out of the race? And by the way, what can you do if you've got it? So, first of all, I want to set this out in a couple of ways. I want to first of all kick off with defining what is doubt because there's a whole bunch of hocus pocus around what is doubt. Fuzzy, sometimes flat out wrong thinking about what doubt is. Many misconceptions. The first thing is, many people think that doubt is the opposite of faith. That's what they think, wrongly. But it is not the opposite of faith, as I'm about to demonstrate. It's a very common misconception. Actually, the opposite of faith is unbelief. And there's a big, big difference between unbelief and doubt. What is unbelief? Unbelief is the willful refusal to believe. It's a deliberate decision to deny God. No. It's making a conscious decision not to have faith. And that is very different, friends, from doubt. Very different. Doubt is to be ambivalent or indecisive over an issue. You may have questions or concerns about some facet of your Christian faith. Now the fact is you can have faith and still have some doubts. Absolutely. Just because you have some doubts does not disqualify you from being a Christian. Big takeaway point. Also for some of those who you're talking to, they don't have to have 100% of their questions answered. And we'll come to that a little later on. See, you can be heaven bound and still have some uncertainty about some of your theological issues. You can be a Christian, I'm saying this another way, without having 100% of your issues settled. Now Jesus, who is the only role model I care about, he distinguished between doubt and unbelief. And I'm so thankful he did, so beautifully. By the way, doubt says... I can't believe. Unbelief says, I won't. Now remember that when you're talking to some of your friends. Doubt is honest. Unbelief is obstinate. It's been said though, that struggling with God over the issues of life does not show a lack of faith. That is faith, because that's what faith is about. Hebrews 11.1 talks a little bit about that. You may want to write that down on your side. Now, if you want a biblical example, just to sort of set the scene, think about for a moment the Psalms. Psalm 10, for example, verse one from the NIV version. The psalmist is very honest. He says, why, O Lord? Question, why? Why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In other words, I'm in the cart, I'm praying, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. But he's being very honest. 
The psalmist is calling out to God, basically. God, where are you? That's what he's saying there. Let's move on a few chapters. Here's David saying, he's saying, how long will you forget me, Lord? For him to say that, clearly he's feeling forgotten, right? Alone. Forever? Now that's a bit of an exaggeration, but he's feeling emotional here. How long will you look the other way when I am in need? By the way, David was called a man after God's own heart, right? But he was very honest with God. God didn't slam him for that. He appreciated, as we'll see later, the authenticity. Now, did David have weak faith? Absolutely not. No, he had a strong faith. Yet he honestly talked to God about the issues of his heart and mind. And some of you have been brought up with a culture says, it's wrong to do that. I want to reset that button today. Notice David. Secondly, people mistakenly think that doubt is unforgivable. But that's not true. God does not condemn us when we question the things we don't know. And the classic example for this, if you don't remember any other illustration, remember this one, John the Baptist. If anybody should have been sure who Jesus was, it would have been his cousin, bro, John. He's the guy who pointed to Jesus and said, hey, here he is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When did he say that? Where? At his baptism, absolutely. Strong. And so he baptises Jesus. Then he sees the heavens open up. So they have the Son of God, the voice, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity. There it is, right there in one passage. All in one. Three in one. We sung about that today. And then you hear this, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the guy that pointed to Jesus and said, I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. This is John, his cousin, blood. What happened? Well, he gets thrown in jail by that turkey King Herod because he's been scallywagging around with a woman he shouldn't have been. And he pointed it out. He didn't like that. Actually, she didn't like that. And his head was about to be on the block. And he comes down, a strong man with a virus of doubt. Now he's a little unsure. So to resolve this, he sends off a couple of his disciples who ask Jesus a direct question. Are you the Messiah or should we be looking somewhere else? Very interesting now. Now, this is the point. I want you to notice Jesus' reaction to that question. Does Jesus say, what's wrong with you, John? Have you got amnesia? Don't you remember? Does he say that? Does he criticize John? Does Jesus do that? does Jesus disqualify him from any future role in the kingdom of God? Not at all. In fact, no. The Bible says in Luke 7, 22, and he answered and said to these disciples, go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. These are observable deeds. The blind are receiving sight 
the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor of the gospel priesthood. Go tell them that. What you've seen with your very own eyes. Tell them the evidences. And that will renew his confidence and bolster his faith. How does this little instance that the Gospels clearly record affect Jesus' view of John, his opinion? Does he now think that John's worthless and a weak wimp? Does he think that? Does he now think that John is no good for the kingdom of God? He's destroyed? No. After this event, Jesus gets up and he looks people clean in the eye, straight after it. You go read it in Luke 7, 28. He says this, I say to you, people listening, among those born of women, there is none greater than John. That's a pretty big vote. Yet he who is least among the kingdom is greater than he. Now, Jesus was not contrasting John with individual Christians. He was contrasting the life before Christ with the life in the fullness of the kingdom of God, which is about to happen. You can go read that. Amazing. So in God's kingdom, all who come after John have a greater spiritual heritage because they have a clearer knowledge of the purposes of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the lesson for us is this. When you have questions, when you have concerns, or when you have doubts... God does not dismiss you. He wants to have dialogue with you. Now it's not to say, please hear this carefully, that doubt is praiseworthy. The Bible never says that. But it does say that in any relationship, you need to have honesty. You need to have honesty in your own relationships, personal ones, with your spouse, if you're married, or with your parents, you need honesty. And John... Jesus is giving John a compliment at the very same time John has questions and concerns and doubts. He's not slamming him. And we need to be sometimes careful when we deal with people who have been infected with a virus of doubt, not to slam them, like straighten up. So doubt is not unforgivable. Number three. Many people think that doubt is unhealthy, but it isn't always. Actually, doubt produces or can produce some positive side effects if, and it's, remember that word if there, if we take positive steps towards resolving them. It's like an immunisation. They can help your body fight off future disease. So when you're infected with doubt, if you respond to it by seeking answers to your questions you can emerge stronger than ever before. Now remember when I was at university, spent um, a number of years there studying books and one of my friends, best friends, was studying the exact opposite, apart from the computer science that he was doing with me. He was studying a whole bunch of books about why faith in God was a dumb thing and etc. And he started asking questions I had never even been exposed to, never even heard. And when he told me those questions, my head was spinning. I didn't know how to answer them. Very stimulating, good questions. Nothing wrong with the questions, good questions. And so I said to him, not knowing what to say, it's unlikely that you're the first person that's ever asked this question before. 
Now, I don't know the, uh, the answer to those arguments, so would you give me a bit of time to go try for some answers to the questions that you've asked? And I said, well, he said, of course, sure. So I did some research, spoke to some of my mentors, and not only did that turn out that I was able to provide him with the answers, but my faith was strengthened a lot by that. It became stronger. So tasting a little bit of doubt and a little bit of a challenge can deepen your faith. It can give you a hardier, more reliable, robust, enduring, resilient faith. Gary Parker, I put it on your outline, said this in the book I've been reading, The Gift of Doubt. He says, if faith never encountered doubt, if truth never struggles with error, if God never battles with evil, how can faith know its own power? He goes on to say, in my own pilgrimage, I have chosen a faith that stared doubt in the eye and made it blink. If I have to choose between that, between staring doubt in the eye and made it blink or a naive faith that's never known the firing line of faith, I will choose the former every time, every time. Another good example of this will be Doubting Thomas, one of Jesus' own disciples. Having checked out personally the evidence for his resurrection of Jesus Christ, he responds by saying this in John 20 verse 28. He says, my Lord and my God. His faith was driven so deep into his soul by having personally checked out the evidence for the resurrection. He spent the rest of his life declaring that Jesus was the one and the only Son of God and he ended up being a missionary right down to the bottom of India and going across and his mausoleum is there today. I don't care what you do to me. He said, I've checked it out. You ain't changing my mind, baby. I'll go, what's death? His faith was driven deep and I hope that doubt now already starts to look a little different to us now that we've looked at what it is. And I want to re-emphasise though that even though doubt is common, I want you to know it is not unforgivable. But if left untreated, it can still be very dangerous. Notice James, the brother of Jesus, who was a sceptic until he saw his brother rise from the dead, his half-brother, that doesn't stop you in your tracks. He says, but he, when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the winds of, oh, by the wind. So if you leave it unchecked, it can do great damage and it'll lead to tremendous instability in your Christian life. Now, next, let's take a look at how does the virus of doubt infect us? Basically in three ways. Number one, doubt often gains a foothold through our minds. Intellectual doubts obviously come through our minds. We read the Bible and we're sitting there and we put it down and we go, we're sort of like walking, wait a second, how does that fit with that? Ever, ever had that thought? Nobody? A few people. Yes, a few honest people. Here. Good. <laughs> well, I have. In fact, I have a lot of these and I write my questions specifically down and I try and solve them myself. Never go, can't do that. I move up to the next level and eventually I get right the way up to the top of my sort of like chain. I had, I think, 69 questions when I sat down with Dr. Geisler that I'd accumulated over the last two years. How does that reconcile with that? And what about that with that? Because he studied it for you know, far longer than I've been on the planet. He's a gargantuan theologian, but there are answers. So, 
So doubts can come through the minds. Doubts can affect us if we don't know what we believe. Doubts can affect us sometimes because we don't understand who God is. We may know about the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God, but we don't really understand how His righteousness, His holiness and His justice fit into that picture. And we go, huh? And we wonder, why doesn't God do certain things that you ought to think or you think He ought to do? Or why does He do some things that you think He shouldn't do? That's how that works. So the problem though isn't with God, it's with our understanding of who God is or the lack of understanding. Two, doubts can breed in our emotions. Some people have a faith that is fundamentally built on feelings. And if I'm feeling good, my faith's strong. If I'm feeling lousy, my faith is, where's it gone? You know, maybe they gave their life to Jesus Christ and they had some euphoric experience. Why? Don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with that. Because it is absolutely exhilarating to understand that your past is forgiven, you have a purpose for living and you've got a home in heaven. You can't buy that. And it's free. And what Jesus did in His love for me and that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. But what happens, your emotions can taper off. And then people make the mistake and thought, well, perhaps my faith, uh, there's a problem with my faith and they begin to doubt. Now, the reality is they are misunderstanding the relationship between faith and feelings. Faith is not fundamentally about feelings and emotions. Faith is fundamentally a decision of the will to follow Jesus Christ. It is a choice that we make. So, then our faith doesn't, when we, when we operate like that, our faith doesn't ever flow according to how emotionally charged up we are. Third, doubt can even affect our will. John 20, 27 says, and he said to Thomas, put your finger in here, see my hands, reach out, put into my side, stop doubting and believe. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you have made a willful decision to pursue a pattern of sinful behaviour, that will make you reluctant to engage with God and therefore He will seem distant. Because you're going to be afraid to confront the issue. So you don't get too close. You know, when you, when you did, I don't know about you, but me, when I was naughty at school, I kept away from all of the teachers. <laughs> I had a natural aversion to them because I knew I was going to be in trouble with a capital T. So you begin to wonder when that happens, when sin introduces distance into your, into your relationship with God, you begin to wonder, where is God to give me the peace that I used to have? That sense of presence. And if you're losing that sometimes, have a look in that area. See if there's any particular sin that you are willfully pursuing. And doubts can also run rampant if you have never made the conscious decision to have a relationship with Jesus. You may have been brought up in a Christian home with Christian parents and you've been riding on the spiritual coattails of your parents. You may have gone to church your whole life. But when people talk about knowing God, and that's not knowing about Him, this is knowing Him yourself in a powerful and passionate and intimate way, you kind of think, what are they talking about? And you begin to doubt that He's there at all. So, in that case, the real reason is that there's never been a conscious decision to say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. 
Notice I say the leader, or let me say another way, the driver of my life, not the passenger. And so from that moment on, you can then begin to build a relationship with him. So doubts can be in our minds, our will, and our emotion. But what do you do with it when you've got it? How can you regain your spiritual health? Well, five steps, F-A-I-T-H. Number one, find the root of your doubt. Bible says, you do not have because you do not ask. You've got to diagnose how, that di- how that, those doubts have entered to your life so you can deal with it and ask God. Ask the tough questions of yourself. Some may say, well, my problem's intellectual. Can I humbly suggest to you, I believe you will never have a genuine intellectual issue with Jesus Christ. You may have a moral issue because you do not want to follow what he says morally, but intellectually, it's unassailable. You may, you may think, well, I'm not sure can, the Bible can be trusted, or I don't even believe that Jesus Christ existed. If you've got those questions, write them down. Diagnose it. It's hard to fix something when you don't know what the problem is. The reality is people, I've also found, often use questions to keep God at an arm's length, a smokescreen to obscure the real issue. Maybe it's their pride or maybe it's something they are behaving like. And you might be doing that too. You might think on the surface, it's just an intellectual question. But the reality is, it's something underneath that says, I've got too much pride to humble myself before my creator. I know there's some people like that. So be honest and analyse the source. Secondly, A, ask God for help and others. Be honest with God. There's a story in the Bible, I love this one, about a man who came to Jesus asking help for his sick son. He's been living with this for years. In fact, the Bible says since he was a boy. And he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you can, would you heal him? And Jesus looks at him and says, If I can? He says, and I love what Jesus says, uh, what what the man says. And he says, after after Jesus says, if I can, the guy goes, "Uh, I believe, help me in my unbelief. He was saying two things. I I can't believe you can, but would you help me for that little part that's struggling? And it's almost beyond my wildest dreams that you could do this. Would you help me in my unbelief? So he's saying, I believe, yet help me in my unbelief. The scripture reference for that is Mark 9, 24. He had a heart to believe, to have faith. Would you help me? I have this problem with doubt. Now Jesus responded to him, and you know what he did? He healed his son. That's how Jesus dealt with that. So what I want to say to you this morning is it is not out of bounds for you when you are wrestling with questions and issues to go to God and say, God, would you bolster my faith? (laughs) Would you strengthen my faith? Go to God, not as a last resort, but as your first priority. Say, God, lead me to wisdom to help me get answers. Bring me to people who can help me in my life to strengthen my faith. Ask other Christians for help too. That's why we have small groups. And they're so important. And that's what community is about. James 5 talks about that. He says, we should honestly admit our struggles with each other and our shortcomings with each other and pray for one another. 
That's a fantastic verse to apply in your small group this week. It says we may be healed in that way. Third, implement a course of action or a course of treatment. If doubt has gained a foothold through your mind, again, I reiterate, get specific. Don't let those doubts just buzz around in your mind, vague, generalised objections, because you can never get a specific answer to a generalised objection. Write a list, specific questions I have about my Bible study or whatever it may be, about Christianity. And if doubt has gained a foothold in your emotions, seek out some help of friends or maybe even after the service. Talk to somebody here who can help you resolve the issues maybe from your past that you've been struggling with so you can more fully enjoy the presence of God and not be riddled and tossed around with these uncertainties. If it's a question of your will, What's holding you back from God? You've got a choice to make. You can continue with your own agenda. You can do that. That is your free choice. But you will get a certain type of doubt that eventually, that agenda eventually raises, resulting in an unsettledness in your relationship with God. Or you can choose to say, to know God is the greatest pleasure I could have. And I want to abandon my ways and fully follow him. Now, that is the door that opens up to a faith that is vibrant, it's rich, genuine, and strong. For those of you unsure, I want a fresh start. In a few moments, I'm going to enjoy, uh, invite you to join me in a prayer to say, God, maybe today you, you, you will be saying this, God, I'm not so sure. But I do want to ask Jesus as a forgiver of my sin to be the leader of my life. I want to know him and I want to start from now. And then you put it behind you. You know, I love what F.F. Bosworth said. He's a great Bible teacher. And he says this, believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. It's a great advice. Believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. The Bible says this in John uh, 1.12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So once you receive Jesus, you're adopted into his family and from that moment on and into eternity, you are his son or his daughter forever. And it's resolved right there. T, take care of your spiritual health. The Bible says take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. And if we want to be able to fight off the human virus that attacks our body, then if we're healthy, if we're strong, we're going to have a lot better chance of doing that. The minor infections are less likely to become major infections. And that same principle in health, as in the natural, so in the spiritual, is true there. The Bible says in Matthew 4.4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, when we exercise our faith, when we feed our faith with God's word, our faith grows deeper. We've got to do some work on that though. Just like you can't sit around and expect yourself to come physically fit, you've actually got to do and apply what you know to do. So how can you grow if you're not accessing God's word on a regular basis? That's a good question. How can you get fit if you don't do exercise? The Bible says take the time and the trouble, that is the effort. Take the time and the trouble. Let me say it another way. The time and the effort to keep yourself spiritually fit. So how can you grow if you're not accessing the word of God on a regular basis? Now, 
point here. During the week, you may be reading a lot of stuff. You may be even reading Christian books about what other people say about the Word of God. Could I humbly suggest that you minimise the amount of those Christian books and spend most of the time in the major book? There's only one of them. It's called the Bible. Now, they're not bad things to read those, but you don't just read what other people say about God. Experience Him yourself is what I'm saying here. Because there's something supernatural that happens when you read the Word of God and absorb it into your life and the Holy Spirit uses it to build your faith. That's why the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4. 4. That's why it's so important. Now, New Hope has plenty of opportunities. You just saw one right now. Oh, you heard about one, excuse me. That Martin and Michelle are studying a brand new small group called Foundations. It's going to cover the 13 essentials of the Christian faith. Now, many of you may not even know what those 13 are. But as Christians around the globe, doesn't matter what denomination, they all agree on these 13. A good place to start is to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ by signing up for that. Because some of you have been Christians for maybe five years, 10 years, and you've never even gone systematically through. Could you name five of them? If you can't, there's the opportunity to do that. This is great. So we provide those opportunities, book studies, for you to mutually grow together. So faith can be also positively contagious. If you hang out with people who have a strong passion for the Word of God, your passion will grow in the Word of God. H, hold your remaining questions in tension. What does that mean? Don't feel like all your questions have to be answered before you commit. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, don't think that you're going to have 100% of all your answers sorted. I've been a follower for Christ of Christ 41 years and I still have questions that pop up in my mind as I read the Bible. But those questions have not prevented me from having an amazingly enjoyable relationship with Jesus Christ. For example... I don't fully understand how the digestive system works, but it doesn't stop me enjoying a good steak. I wish somebody had told me earlier that I didn't have to have all of my questions answered before I accepted Jesus Christ, even with my doubts and my questions. It might be that as you continue to grow in your faith, you're going to find answers to those questions that you've had for years. It has been the case for me knowing the essential stuff and knowing the trustworthiness of God, it's okay to have my faith and hold some questions in abeyance. If we had had to have 100% of the answers to 100% of our questions, there'd be no room for faith. And by the way, it's no different than when you get married. You stand there before a pastor or a celebrant and you say two words, I do or I will. You have no clue what that means. You take a step of faith, right? Here's how it works. You make a commitment in front of all these friends and family. You say, I do. And then you walk forward. And you discover what that means. But you don't have to have all your questions answered. By the way, young people, let me just address that right now. You will never 100% know that this is the right person for you. So do not put it off because I don't know 100%. There's many things in life you will not know 100%. You'll have the preponderance, 
but don't get hung up on perfection. John 20, verse 29. Jesus told them, because you have seen me, he's talking to Thomas, and you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So I hope by talking about this issue of doubt, which is scary for some folks, it's encouraging you to know that if you respond to your doubts, it can, in the correct way, it can be a positive catalyst for a richer and a deeper faith. And if you're wrestling with doubts this morning, I want to tell you a very quick story which will wrap it up. It's about a guy, true story, who had a strong faith. And he wanted more than anything else for God to do something very positive with his life. So he actually went to a Bible college. The trouble was at that Bible college, he had somebody else going there that was chirping in his ear, oh, this is a bunch of took, and raising questions about the Bible. And his friend was actually undermining his faith all the time. But luckily, he had another friend who was a strong Bible teacher and would show him the evidence, the facts on the other side. Here's why you can trust the Bible. Here's why Jesus Christ is the one and only Saviour of the world. Boom, 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 boom. Here's why we know Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Not even using the Bible, using secular sources. He started from ground zero. This guy said, I felt like I was in a rat, being pulled with doubt one way and faith in another. I came to the point of being extremely disturbed by the whole experience, very unsettled. And one day I went for a walk. And he was walking and he said, God, I need your help. I don't want to have a weak faith. I want to have a strong and powerful faith. And I want you to use me in a positive way. So he got down on his knees and based on all the evidence of the trustworthiness of the Bible, he said this, I'm, as a choice of my will, I'm going to accept the Bible as being the Word of God. I'm going to base my life on it and I'm going to live the way it says I ought to live and I'm going to tell others about it. And he got up off his knees and he said, it's like God breathed fresh life into his faith. And he felt like a spiritual battle for his soul had been fought and won. And that man's name was Billy Graham. If you're here today and you've got uncertainties and you've got questions and you've got doubts and you wonder, can God do anything positive with my life? Remember Billy's story. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for that counterintuitive truth that through doubt, you can use that experience to strengthen and deepen our faith and to use us in ways that can defy our imagination. Father, for those who've been doubting because they've come to realise today that they don't know you personally, I pray that today they would receive your Son, Jesus Christ, as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. And that they will be able to experience Him for the first time in a full and real and passionate way.
both now and into eternity, Lord. I pray that since, Lord, your adoption of them into your family. And Lord, your word says, those who come to me, I will no wise cast out. It's permanent. We thank you, Lord, that you don't disown us or dismiss us when we ask questions. Lord, thank you that you know the intimate thoughts of our heart and you want honesty. Father, thank you for this church with people that love you and resources that you've blessed us with. People that are willing and ready and able to help those who are struggling in their faith. For Father, you said, be gentle for those who are weak in faith. Thank you, blessed Trinity, for your presence here with us. In the powerful and wonderful name of our loving Saviour, Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen.